Alrighty, anyone who's anyone who's got the ability to apprehend a copy of Agatha Christie's autobiography ought to be of assistance here. Breakthrough. A bouncing baby boy's been bitterly beaten in the backwoods of Brightwall. Calculated, our current campaign could be crazy. Caught me act, a criminal, or could be criminals. Don't dare dismiss the damsels in distress in this damnable district, duck diving, dipping, diving, and dodging down through despair of yet another disappearance. Enough energy to engage in eerie and evil encounters. Finally, a feud between friends that could fuel a fair few fantasies. Gone are the days of glad-handing and gladiatorial combat, gaining in a gallon or so the garbage that gets given my way. Hold your horses, I hope you don't think I'm hammering a point too heavy, half a hair too close to halftime to be harboring any hellacious harm. Idea. Investigate the intelligences. Grab their identifications and see if any of these idiots are identical. Something interesting has to ignite. Now I'm just joshing, gonna take more than jaw-jabbering to jiggle this jigsaw, but it ain't time for joking there, Judgy Jason. Keen to keep a lid on the kingdom before it all kicks off, this knowledge could knock a man clear to kingdom come. Least likely to label a lady as lascivious, the lords and lasses, lucky for me, Lucifer lumps them all together. My, 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 the madmen all make mountains out of molehills, but maybe this time there's more to the march before we hit the mark. No, nothing nefarious, or so I thought, until night after night I'm nocturnal, needing to needle my way through a haystack, naturally for the good of the nation. Originally, I planned to overtake the oath and obtain the object of the overwhelming desire, but I must admit I'm a tad obsessive. Possibly predictable, pretending I'm Poirot, but no one else has the plums to plunder, so pace yourself and pack your pants, because this goes on for another paragraph. Quality qualifications are quick to question, but quit when I explain I'm in the middle of quite the quiz. Really racing my mind in the radical rage, I'm really not rash, but this requires me to be in a bit of a rush. Slow down, stupid. Don't slip and slide and sacrifice those who need salvation. Sally up and say what you need to say. Tricky. The teacher isn't talking. Tactful, but terrible. Unbelievable. Understanding I'm under duress. It's an ugly issue underground. He's unable to understand the unhappiness. Violent? Verily. The victim's verdict would be a lot easier to vindicate with video. What waking nightmare causes me to wander into this wonderland, walking witless once again into Hell's waiting room? Exactly as excruciating as I expected. Why? Why not? Yikes, you yawning at the thought of yipping out? We should have been in the yard yesterday. Zip it, this place is a zoo. The Brightwall Podcast. Season 2. Episode 1. The Brightwall Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. If you'd like to help out production, go to patreon.com slash empty square to become an official backer. Have you ever heard of something called the Dead Space Network? No, you haven't. Shut up, Jacob. Me either. At least it wasn't until I moved here. Apparently, and I don't know this for sure, so don't quote me on it, but it's one of those morbid little games kids play at sleepovers, like saying Bloody Mary into a dark mirror, or light as a feather, stiff as a board, or Monopoly. (sighs) Now, according to legend, on a rainy and stormy night at exactly midnight, you're supposed to stare into a powered-off TV. Apparently, when the clock hits 12, it's going to kick on, and through the static, you'll see how you die. It's a sick game, right? But apparently everybody tries it to see how brave they are. Now, that was never really my issue as a kid. I'm a wimp, and I know it, and I don't need to prove it to anybody else. But a lot of kids seem to really enjoy it. They, they see it as like a badge of honor. The whole thing's ridiculous, obviously. No one can see the future through a TV. Hell, the simple act of turning itself on kind of renders the whole point moot. At least that's what I thought. At least that's what I wanted to think. 
Two weeks after Danny's case was closed? Resolved? Let's go with resolved. I spent some time ruminating over the last thing I read in the book. The queen must fall. Now, the only queen I ever knew of was Mayor Queen, and to be honest, I didn't want to think she could have done something wrong. It wasn't like first and foremost in my brain that I had to investigate the mayor of the whole last town for suspicious wrongdoing and paranormal activity. So to be honest, I didn't work on it like super hard. But I did look into it a little bit, and to be honest, I didn't find a lot. Most history of Mayor Queen begins with her being sworn in, and not much is available before. Which is kind of weird too when you think about it. I don't know where she was born, I don't know where she lived, I, I don't know what she did for a living before she became a politician, but I do know that her inauguration was attended by exactly 684 people, and many hot dogs wrapped in puff pastry were served. It sounds delightful. So in the next couple of weeks, honestly, I just laid low. I read a little bit, actually got a decent amount of sleep, four out of seven days a week, which is pretty impressive for me. Caught up on Netflix. You guys see Tiger King yet? Anybody? And I thought maybe the worst was over. The Watcher brought me to Brightwall to save it from whatever nonsense was coming up next, but maybe there was nothing coming up next. Maybe we're just at the end of it all. I can hope, right? Maybe from here on out, Brightwall is just going to be a small little town in nowhere Canada that remains a small little town in nowhere Canada. Then the murder happened. Yeah, no, nothing ambiguous about this one. No Bengal tigers appearing out of nowhere, no polar bears on a desert island, just a murder. 16-year-old Aiden, last name withheld for confidentiality reasons. The story says he disappeared seven days ago exactly. No sign of them whatsoever. And then he was found in the Brightwall Forest exactly where I had been shot not many weeks before. Bad gas travels fast in a small town, so any hope of keeping this under wraps was immediately torn asunder. Everybody knew about it. Instantly. And they all crowded around the crime scene. So, despite my better judgment, of course I went to. I mean... Problem is, I'm dead. Or at least I'm supposed to be. Now, this was a big town-wide execution, so a lot of people are pretty aware of the whole thing. I can't exactly walk up to the party and act like there's nothing wrong. So it was time for me to get some sort of a disguise. An alias, if you will. I looked around my small hotel room for something I could use to hide who I was. I found a big floppy hat, a pair of Birkenstocks, and toe socks. I also found gigantic sunglasses that your Aunt Judy would wear, and nobody would have the guts to tell her that they looked terrible. Look, I don't have to be fancy right now, I just have to be secret. I also should have been worried about the fact that this stuff wasn't mine, and I didn't bring it, and how did it get in my hotel room? Plus, who's seen a pair of toe socks since 2002? Yeah, well, one mystery at a time, I guess. So I geared up and walked out to take on the world. The streets were desolate. And when I say everybody was there, I mean everybody was there. Not even the guy who ran the fruit stand, who literally never left his post, wasn't selling anything. So it wasn't exactly hard to spot the crime scene with six police cars and about 700 people crowding around it. The police officers tried their damnedest to keep their distance. But in a town this small, there's like 10 police officers total. It's a losing battle. Now, I'm not a very tall man, and yes, that's still a sticking point. That's hurt my masculinity all the way through high school. Thanks for bringing it up. But it posed a bigger logistical issue now. Way back in the back of the crowd, I couldn't see a damn thing. So I tried to sneak my way to the front, lightly pushing people aside and saying, Sorry. Really quietly, 286 times. Give or take, I wasn't counting. Eventually, people wouldn't move, 
with my polite questioning, so I eventually crouched down on my knees and started pinching people in the side to get them out of the way. Either they thought I was a child or a very upset little person in a big floppy hat. Regardless, I got through unimpeded. I made my way to the front of the queue and got a good look at the scenario. The body was already taken. I imagine it had been bagged and removed from the scene as quickly as possible. Two police officers were talking to a man about six feet tall, 60 pounds overweight, seemed to have a severe drinking problem for what seemed like his entire life, unkempt hair, and looked like he was having a really, really bad day. I guessed this was his father. Poor sap, I'd hate to be in his shoes right now. Deeper into the forest, there was another four cops. They all had little tools and doodads that I had seen on CSI before. Checking for footprints and other bits of forensic evidence, I guess. The first thing I noticed was that there was no blood. However he died, it wasn't a particularly violent affair. I thought maybe it was possible that the body could have been killed elsewhere and brought into the forest, but I also didn't see any drag marks or footprints leading its way into the forest. There's only so many entrances into this place. There should be at least one set of footprints coming out, right? Or leaving, at least? I can't imagine whoever dropped the body here swept away his prints as he walked. I made a note of that for later. Two cops did their best to keep people at bay. There was a police caution tape rigged up alongside the perimeter, but a lot of people just seemed to try to slip under it without being noticed. People are nosy, I guess. Most of them got tackled to the ground and led away. It was pretty funny. Everybody seems to think that they're going to be the ones to solve a big crime like this. Like, they think the police are just, like, racking their brains for days, just hoping and praying some nobody will come out of the crowd and solve it in an instant with no training whatsoever. Like, this whole thing is an NBC police procedural. It was sad to see. It's got to be some sort of, like, delusion of grandeur or something. Anyway, I ducked under the police tape and I made my way to the crime scene. It was clear they needed my help. I had a podcast. I was ready. Immediately, I was tackled to the ground. In retrospect, I can't imagine why I thought that would have worked. Who do you think you are? They asked me, far too loud. Uh, I'm Andrew Koo. I mean, Johnny. Johnny Red Eye? Oh. Yeah, and what do you think you're doing here? I'm a, uh, I'm a detective from the, uh, the big city, and I'm here to help investigate? What do we need a detective for? There's nothing suspicious going on right now. Uh, well, that's what I'm here to find out. So you're here to detect if there's nothing to detect. Yeah. Smooth, right? They both looked at each other and then stared back at me and said, All right, stay put. We're going to call this in and see if you are who you say you are. All right, you do that. I called after him, apparently thinking I'm far prettier than I really am. What kind of detective shows up in Birkenstocks and a giant hat? What kind of detective shows up without ID? These guys are going to call some big city. I don't even know which one. I'm going to get found out, and then I'm going to get shot again. And I don't know how many times the watchers are going to pull my ass out of the fire. That is death. So I waited in an uneasy silence for about three minutes before the police officer arrived again. All right, he said. Story checks out. Let him go. What, really? His partner asked. Really? What? I asked. Yeah, he said. Got word from Toronto that we're sending down a detective. Didn't think he'd be here for another couple days, but apparently you really hauled ass. Yes. Yes, I did.
Thank you for verifying. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have detecting to do. As I walked away, I started mumbling to myself. How the hell did that work? Why the hell did that work? It's not that I want to question my good fortune or anything, but even I know that was bullshit. As I began walking into the forest, I felt a tap on my shoulder. It was the police officer from before. He grabbed my head and whispered into my ear in a low, ethereal voice. Don't make Don't us make save, us you, save again. you again. And left like nothing happened. Okay, yeah, no, I get it this time. I have to be a lot smarter about this as I go on. I've been too cavalier about it for too long. Stuff is different now. I've actually got people relying on me for this one. I don't know what... I don't know what I'm going to face in the future, but I have to imagine it's going to be worse than it has been. If I go on about it like I have been, I imagine I'm going to die a lot more violently than I did before. And that might be if I'm lucky. I could hear the father talk to the other police officer. They seemed to know each other a little bit. I didn't want to interrupt quite yet. I may be curious about the answers, and I think they need to be found, but I don't need to interrupt the man in such an intensely emotional time. I'll get to it later. Coming into the forest, I saw grass matted down, probably where the body was found. The last remaining police officers were scuttling around and working, as if looking for something, but they all seemed to be pretty stymied. I put on my best detective face and walked up to one of the more important-looking ones. <laughs> Alright, what do we got? I asked in my best Detective Andy Sipowitz voice. Well, we have a male, age 16, found dead about three hours ago. Was missing for about a week beforehand. No signs of trauma, cause of death is inconclusive. How do you mean? I asked. Well, he said, there's no signs of any damage, no choking, no stabbing, no shooting, no beating. We won't know until we get him to the lab and get an autopsy done. But it looks like his heart just stopped. I don't suppose that could be the answer, could it? He was just out in the forest with an undiagnosed heart issue. He tried to pull an Alexander Supertramp and ended up like, well, like Alexander Supertramp. That's probably the answer, but his father said he got him checked out the week before and everything was okay. And then he just decided to get up and leave one day, I asked. Apparently. We're trying to get answers out of the father now, but he's been pretty cagey about it. He refuses to answer a lot of stuff about what life was like at home. This isn't the first time we've dealt with him. The kid is a bit of a frequent flyer. Is he in and out of jail a lot? Boy, you don't know the half of it. We caught him for hundreds of stuff over the years. Everything from petty vandalism, breaking and entering, assault and battery, right up to arson. Okay, so he was a troubled lad. Which lends credence to our runaway theory, but it doesn't explain why he's dead. Any way to figure out how the body got here? Well, that's the other confusing thing. There are no footsteps in and out of the entire area outside of ours. It's almost like the kid fell from the sky. But we checked out for any fall damage and he's got nothing, not even a bruise. So it's not like he was dragged here or driven here and dumped out. It's like he came out of nowhere. Well, I mean, this is Brightwall, right? You don't suppose it's some sort of ancient Mesopotamian portal that spat him out of another pocket dimension? Again? What do you mean again? Man, I get that you're not from around here, but we get crazy stuff like this every week. Probably best to just see this as an unfortunate death and be glad for it. It can't just be normal. Why not? Because my luck doesn't run that deep. There's something strange here and I'm going to figure it out or my name isn't Andrew Cooper. What the fuck are you talking about? Nothing. Keep up the good work, Jenkins. My name is Schultz, but okay. I walked away from the other officers, grateful I didn't have to do any more voices for any other character in the story. I have kind of a small range. So I had a hunch that was proven correct. Nobody brought the kid in or out. It looks like he just fell from the sky. 
I might have just been spitballing, but I think maybe that ancient Mesopotamian portal thing might be a real go-getter. I couldn't get any more information from looking around the crime scene, so I decided to leave. So many questions couldn't be answered until we got to identify and examine the body. Which was not a job I was looking forward to, expected to have to do, or have any experience or knowledge about whatsoever. As I left, I heard the father still talking to one of the police officers, it looks like he knew, whose name seemed to be Kimberly. He said how this was not the first time Aiden had gone missing, but he had always come back within a day or two after he blew off some steam. This was the first time, however, that he had been gone for anything longer than 48 hours. Kimberly didn't do much but commiserate and nod. It sounds like she'd heard the story a couple times before. The father would go on to say repeatedly, I took a note of, that things had been so much different and so much worse after his wife had died. I tried to look busy because eavesdropping on a grieving man talking about the loss of his son sounded really sketchy. So I decided to swiftly, but politely, take my lead. I had learned all that I could here anyway. Everybody seemed to be pretty accepting of the fact that this was probably just a normal tragic incident. But I don't know why I couldn't just agree with them. Maybe it was still the shock of being in Brightwall, but I couldn't shake the fact that there was more to this than everybody thought there was. But they all seemed happy with the fact that this was a normal everyday tragedy instead of a balls-to-the-wall insane tragedy that they're so used to. I haven't quite got a read on these people yet. Maybe I never will, although maybe I never want to. In fact, if the day comes where I actually understand the people of Brightwall, I'll know I have been here too long. I decided to take the time and walk back to the hotel room and get all the facts straight. I still wanted to get a look at that autopsy and toxicology reports. Just to make sure. I think it was the fact that there were no footprints or tire tracks or any sort of drag markings that made this stick out in my mind as much as it did. I got back to the hotel room and I noticed I had a package waiting for me. Which was fun, because, you know, mail. But then I realized I had never actually ordered anything, nor did anybody know I was here, nor did anybody know I was still alive. So, immediately I thought it was one of two things, either it was a box of old magazines or a letter bomb. I've never wished so hard for a box of old magazines. No name, no note, nothing, not even a travel tag or some sort of stamp. I picked it up and went inside. It was light. It was very light. Whatever it was, didn't need a box this big. I cut it open to see what was inside, and there, sitting at the bottom, was a VHS tape, like this was goddamn 1994. For my younger viewers, a VHS tape is kind of like Netflix, only it's one movie at a time, and it's on this large black rectangle, and you would put it in a machine, but you could only use it a couple of times before, eventually, the machine would eat the tape inside it, and then you'd lose your 18th copy of The Lion King. It's a stupid way to do things, but that's all we had. Now, I hadn't seen one of these things in maybe literally 20 years. And we held on to VHS for a long time in my family. We didn't get a DVD player until 2008. Now I was interested to see what it was because A, who would send me something like this, and B, just kind of for the novelty of the whole thing. Problem is, we did not have a VHS player. And in fact, I didn't know anybody under the age of 86 who still did. I went looking around the room just in case because this is a bit of an older hotel room. I mean, it doesn't even have a color TV or HBO. But no dice. So I went down to the manager's room to see if he had one. The manager, who never really said much or left his tiny office he seemed to dwell in, he was an older man, kept to himself most days, or maybe he just stayed away from me because he's never actually said more than two words to me, outside of here's your room. I wonder if he knows I'm dead. I don't think he came to the execution, plus he knows I still rent the thing and he doesn't seem to be awake most days. I'd make a note to ask him later if I ever see him again. I walked through the door to see him in his chair, slumped to the side with his mouth wide open, snoring like he was half-wildebeest. It's an impressive amount of sound that's coming out of this guy. 
I'd be amazed if I didn't have a job to do. I poked my head through the plexiglass partition to see what things looked like on his side. A lot of wood paneling, a lot of posters of Linda Carter of Wonder Woman fame, and one signed photo of David Hasselhoff from being David Hasselhoff fame. Despite being asleep, his whole body was pointed to the corner, which held a small 15-inch black-and-white TV. I couldn't see anything that was under it, but if anybody had a VHS player, it was this dude. I went to the door of his office to silently let myself in, but it was locked. Figures, I guess. I'd be worried about breaking and entering in Brightwall as well. I wondered for a moment if I knew how to pick a lock. It couldn't be that hard, right? I'd seen it in video games all the time. It's just a simple turning minigame with a bobby pin or... Maybe a timing thing, or I have to hit the A button, or Pipe Dream. You guys remember Pipe Dream? I decided I'd better keep looking just in case. I don't know that I can't pick a lock, but I don't want that fact confirmed. I saw a welcome mat outside of the office, and I wondered if he was old-fashioned enough to leave a spare key underneath the mat just in case he lost his. I crouched down and pulled it up. He was, and there is. I unlocked the door and stepped inside. I don't know how, given how much ventilation there was between his office and the rest of the room, but walking through that door was like hitting a heavy smell of musty carpet and what I believe to be Cheetos from 1976. And cologne. I don't know what kind of cologne, but I know it was cologne. I never thought I'd die gasping for breath inside a hotel office, but we're pretty darn close. I looked towards the TV, which was playing an old western called Shane which I had never actually seen, but I had heard good things about. And I like to bring it up whenever people ask me about movies to sound smart, because it's easier to say a movie from 1953 is your favorite than your actual favorite movie. Mine is Face Off. I mean, come on, have you guys seen Face Off? It's such good shit. We'll talk about it later, I promise. But lucky for me, he did have an ancient VHS player sitting below his TV stand. It didn't even seem to be plugged into anything, which I took as a plus. Because he seems like a heavy sleeper, but the less I have to test that, the better. I mean, how lucky have I been in my life, really? I quietly grabbed the VHS tape and left, locking the door behind me. He'd never know. Except for the fact that I stole his VHS player, but outside of that, he'd never know. The TV in my hotel room is an actual flat-screen LCD. Which was nice, but I don't know if it had all the hookups needed for a VHS player from the Reagan administration. Somehow all the cords lined up and we got it plugged in and working. Now this was one of those old school models where you had to turn the channel to three or else it didn't work. Technology in the early 90s was stupid. I put the VHS tape in and hit the play button. And it began with an old station identification. See, back in the day, TV stations actually used to go off air at some point instead of just playing random programming for 24 straight hours. This is what would play when it was all over. It would say something like, this now concludes our broadcast day, and play the national anthem and then go into a test pattern. Well, this began with the national anthem, but it began to skip over itself over and over and over again. The images began to warp and change, quickly cutting from one thing to another. I, I could never really place what images I was seeing, but all I knew is they made me feel anxious and sick. They were all different, bordering on depraved and disturbing. Every so often, text would pop up. The first line asked me, Did you think we were done? It would play a couple more images and then the text popped up again and said something like, We haven't even started. More images, this time of strange creatures that looked impossible, 
Sometimes there were burning crosses. Sometimes there were people with odd proportions. Sometimes you could see people screaming. And then names appeared. It listed off six names in quick succession. Aiden, Michael, Kimberly, Jason, Tommy, Zachary. After another series of images, it said, You can't save them all. And then after a second flashed to, You won't save them all. Now all of this is strange, and it put me on the edge of my seat, definitely. But it's what happened next that made it personal. After an image that said something like, After an image that said something like, Coda or Cobra or something, I, I can't quite remember. Another text card popped up. It said, Time is running out, Andrew. It mentioned me. Specifically. This was a message, a, a call out, an invitation to a game that I didn't want to play. Eventually, the tape wound down and faded to black. Somebody knew I was here. Somebody knew I was alive. Somebody knew I was important. And they wanted to test me. The first name that appeared was Aiden, and Aiden was the name of the departed. Was this a hit list? Is he warning me? Is he taunting me? I I recognize some of the names. I, I heard Kimberly. I, I think she was a police officer at the scene. Somebody named Michael was next. I, I have to find out who this guy is. Did he send me the tape? Is he next? Should we protect him? I. So many things went through my mind. I had so many questions and, and, and no answers. I was scared. But more than anything, I was interested. And that's when I realized that the tape was still going. I, I thought it had fade to black, but another text card popped up. This one lingered. It had been on there forever. Far longer than any of the others. Three simple words. Let us in. This concludes our broadcast day.